Well, hey everyone, welcome to the Eaglebrook Church Leadership Podcast. And I am John Alexander here with my favorite co-host, Don Grafham. Don, Don, how are you? You doing all right? <laughs> I am Better doing than all right. well. Better than all right. You just graduated yes. a son from, I mean, I there's a lot of things happening here, yeah, from yeah, college. There is a lot. It was uh, just a week ago, I got to see my son graduate from Bethel University. Super exciting. And John, you know, for bird lovers, this <laughs> <laughs> this is the time of year that we look forward to. I mean, yeah. we wait all year for this. I know you do too. But other than the normal chickadees, woodpeckers, cardinals, and blue jays, <laughs> this is the time of year where we, we have had indigo buntings, orioles, hummingbirds, and rose-breasted grosbeaks right outside oh, our window. And man. I know you long to see those as well. And those are birds, they just, a lot of them just travel through at this what time. What a life. I know. What a, life what a time to be alive. You know who loves birds that we should get on talking about birds? Jason Strand. I know. Jason. I mean, like, he knows oh, yeah. birds. Yeah. And loves birds. He does. He maybe does. it's embarrassing for Maybe we shouldn't have shared that. We might have to edit that. No, no, keep it in there. It's a secret. Everybody I mean, it's should okay know for that. you to love birds. You're at a certain age where that's appropriate, feels no. right. But I think you're just out of it. I think you just <laughs> totally. need to catch up. Catch up. Oh my goodness. Do you think that bit will ever get old? No. No, we'll probably I talk about it forever. Because you love birds and yeah. They look forward to it every time. Everybody does. All right. Well, I'm I'm doing <laughs> great because it's mulch season. I put down mulch. It's oh, just classic. You okay. know, into May, put down do you put yep. down mulch? We do the mulch. It's thing. a Minnesota thing. It is. Driving to Menards, you get some bags of mulch. We got too few. We needed more, need to go back. It's you normal. know that that story. Gotta that do story. that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We've done all of that. And yeah. And then it looks good for like three weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> What a waste. I Do it know. again next year. It looks great. When <laughs> it you looks put great. It <laughs> so fresh. Anyways, enough of okay. that. Let's get after today's topic, yep. which I'm actually really, really excited about. We're gonna talk about this is a this is a hot button word. Yep. We're gonna talk about the mega church. Mm. The mega church. Mm-hmm. Now, before you write us off or turn it off, let us unpack this a little bit because first of all, most of our listeners are involved, and you and I specifically are deeply involved in what would be called a mega church, a mm-hmm. large church. We have been mm-hmm. for many years, me for 13 years here at Eagle Brook, you for 17, 17 years. Yeah. And today, what we want to do is demystify what that means and talk about why we love our church. But let's mm-hmm. start by even talking about the term mega church. Don, what is it? And how do you feel about that? Yeah, it, it bring, it's a mixed bag. I mean, I don't love the term megachurch, uh, but if you were to like look at Wikipedia, which is the most scholarly source, of course, they define the megachurch as 2,000 or more attendance on a weekend. Now, however, it does feel like this term has been used more negatively than positively these days. Yeah. So let's be honest, though. Large churches do have a large impact. Uh, when the impact is positive, it can it can impact a community, a city, and beyond. And when the impact is negative, it can create a huge wake as well. And we've seen this when a leader inside a large church, especially the senior pastor, has a, a moral failure or commits a sin, which is known and felt by others. That ripple, that ripple effect, can be enormous. Unfortunately, the list of senior pastors in mega churches who have made poor decisions has become. Well, it's become long, and yeah. it's a, it's a well known list, mm-hmm. and this does give the skeptic a lot of. Re- I mean, they have a lot of reasons to question church leaders, and it often gives the mega church well a black eye. And if you're one of those people that's listening, and you've been negatively impacted by a church leader, leader, whether that's large or small, by the way, my heart does go out to you because the church should be a place 
where you can trust the leaders. And unfortunately, pastors in big and small churches, they're, they're also sinners. And it reminds us that our trust must ultimately be placed in the one and only that deserves our trust, our, our Heavenly Father. Yeah, I think you said a, re- a couple really important things there. First, if someone has been hurt by that or they are skeptical because mm-hmm. of the news headlines or the things they've seen, my first response is deep empathy. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, of course, that's frustrating to me. It's hurtful to me. I haven't personally been negatively impacted, but just even reading about another right. large church pastor who has done something and fallen from grace, I mean, my heart just breaks for all the reasons. And I mm-hmm. understand why people would be skeptical or upset as a result. Mm-hmm. But I also recognize that these people are human. Mm-hmm. They're um, sinners. They've fallen into a pattern of unhealthy living that for whatever reason, they haven't experienced a ton of accountability around that or something happened in their life. Um and so I, I also have empathy for those people mm-hmm. too. Yeah. I don't want to be someone who necessarily piles on and points the finger and assumes that that can happen to them, but not to me. That's yeah. the other response mm-hmm. that I have. But mm-hmm. but ultimately, when when it's all said and done, our church, our our hope, our trust is to be put in God. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we do place these leaders and pastors of large churches on pedestals that they cannot possibly mm-hmm. um, maintain. They, they can't sit upon that place of authority or power that we have placed them in a lot of ways and hope to remain um, completely sinless or um, live a life of complete, well, perfection yeah. by any means. Right. Sometimes the perfection that we assume that they're... <laughs> Living with so mm-hmm. well, I mean, it's, our, yeah. I mean, because the word mega church and it is a large church, it does have a larger, you know, target on its back. Yeah, and I do think, especially the skeptic, is almost waiting for, well, people like you and I to screw something up, mm-hmm. and then they can say, "Oh, there it is once again." And the reality is, is it happens in large churches and small churches, but. But that's why we just have to emphasize we're going to do our best to earn people's trust, but we are going to screw up. Yeah. I mean, and we are going to let people down. And that's why ultimately the church always points to the one and only Heavenly yeah. Father. Yeah, absolutely. It's not to Jason. It's not to any other large church or any senior pastor for that matter. Yeah. It always goes to God. Yep. And although I think that's easy to say, you can lose track of that and people can really have a discouraging experience. And our hope is to bring hope back to people. And yes. that's why we want to talk about it today. Yes, let's do that. to love our church. Yeah, and you love lists. I do. And so you've written and thought about a lot of the content around this podcast. You have a list of five things you love about our church. That's right. So let's just kick things <laughs> off. What's the first one? Okay, number one is that my life was changed in a mega church. Uh, I grew up in a family that we did go to church quite a bit when I was a little kid, and then we kind of gave up on it. It only did Christmas and Easter. And then when I was 16, we wandered into a mega church outside Chicago, 4,000 seat auditorium, auditorium style seating. And then the music fired up and it's like, huh, I've never heard that at church before. That's actually pretty cool. And then they had this thing called a skit or a drama where they (laughs) acted out a certain thing that illustrated the point. And then the senior pastor came up and started a series called Christianity 101. Mm. That was the first weekend that I remember going to church was a series called Christianity 101. This is probably 35 years ago. Uh, Yeah, 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 it was. It was in the mid 80s. So 
So there we were taking that in. When the service came to an end, I remember turning to my dad and saying, there is no way that's a church. I mean, that was not painful at all. It was actually somewhat interesting. And he said, I guarantee you, this is a church. And if you like it that much, we'll come back again next weekend. I was, I was excited for the first time ever to go to church. And so we did start going on weekends. Eventually my parents said, hey, if you like this, maybe you should go on a Thursday night because they have this youth group. And I said, I am not going to a youth group. That does not sound cool at all. I was involved in hockey, baseball, football. My schedule was busy. I kind of had the social thing sort of figured out, so I thought. And eventually one day, coincidental or providential, whichever word you want to use, I had a friend that invited me to a tug-of-war competition. Oh, okay, where's the tug-of-war competition? It's on Thursday night at my church, and it's a youth group that I'm a part of. I'm like, you got to be kidding. My parents have been trying to tell me this. Did they put you up to this? No, no, it's going to be cool. Okay, and I went, and there were 700 high school students mm. in the lobby. Music was throbbing. I mean, cool kids, different kids, leather <laughs> jackets, letter jackets all across the room. And I had no idea this could exist in a church. It was so cool. I eventually met a guy named Daryl. Uh, Daryl kind of took me under his wing. He also enjoyed sports, so we played racquetball and tennis and went biking. And one day I remember saying to Daryl, there's something different about you. Uh, what is it that's different about you? And he said, this is so weird, I think I know, and I'm not going to tell you. And I don't know where he got that line, but it actually made me more interested. And so I continued to kind of study what's so different about Daryl. And before I knew it, I was going on weekends, I was going on Thursday nights, and then I was going on Wednesday nights because they had a midweek service. And then I started going to Daryl's small group. And this is all before I put my faith in Christ, but I'm just investigation mode. And one day I was at Daryl's house late at night and uh, he said, hey, if you want, you can crash on my floor here. Okay, so he gets a sleeping bag. I'm laying on the floor next to him. He's on, in his bed and it's like two in the morning we're just laid down. And he says, hey, remember how you asked me why I'm different? He says, I, I think I'm ready to tell you. Are you interested? I'm like, well, it's 2 a.m. and I'm in a sleeping <laughs> bag and there's nowhere I can go. So hit me with it. And this is still so weird as I tell you the story, but he reached into his nightstand, pulls out what we would call a track. Mm. I mean, this little booklet and talks through how God loves me and how I have sin in my life. And I need to ask for forgiveness for my sin in order to cross the line of faith and become a Christ follower. Daryl, a 17-year-old, explains it to a 16-year-old who's laying in a sleeping bag. And that's really the first time that it dawned on me, like, I need to do something. Like, I need to commit my life to Christ. I thought, well, I live in America. I recycle. I'm probably a Christian <laughs> because of that. But lo and behold, I got to put my faith in Christ. So June 20th, 1986, we're there on a Wednesday night up in the upper balcony. And the pastor comes to a close and he says, if you want to put your faith in Christ, say this prayer with me. And to the best of my ability, I did that. And Daryl was sitting right at my left. And as soon as the prayer was over, he goes, did you do it? Did you do it? <laughs> and I said, I did, I did. And he said, that's so cool. That's so great. And then Daryl, who's not introverted, brings me around all throughout the church, introduces me to everybody he knows. And he says, hey, say hi to Don. This is my friend Don. It's his birthday. And I'm like, oh, Daryl, it's not my birthday. And people are saying, oh, well, happy birthday. And as we walk out, I'm, Daryl, what's the deal? It's not my birthday. And he said, well, it is your birthday in Christ. And I wanted to kind of mark the moment. And, and that changed everything for mm -hmm. me. It wasn't mm -hmm. like an overnight, like fireworks and that kind of thing. But man, it changed my friend group. It did change the decisions I was making, even in high school. And then it really changed where I went to, to college. Yeah. I didn't even know Christian colleges existed before that. So that's what got me headed toward Bethel. 
And then here I am in Minnesota decades later, yeah. you know, having come up here. But the, this is the point is that I love the mega church because my life was changed yeah. in the mega church and ministry comes from your heart. Ministry is personal. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, now, just for full transparency, yep. I noticed you said a large church outside Chicago, but right. that, that is Willow Creek Community Church. Mm-hmm. And Willow is one of those places that has been in the news, um, well, a few, three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those churches that has had kind of a bit of a fall, they're still around, they're still um, surviving and they've yep. got new leadership in place. But any thoughts on yeah. why the hesitation or even... You know, why, you know, your thoughts on Willow in general? Yeah. Well, they were just in the news again this last week, going through layoffs. And I mean, it's so hard to watch it because, you know, if anybody whose life was changed, let's just say here at Eagle Brook, you just hold such a a reverent place. And that was true for me, for for Willow and for, for Bill Hybels too. But my heart does break every time. I see the struggles of Willow because my life was changed there. My family's life was changed there. My mom was on staff for many years. I don't know if you remember that. She actually helped in the cafe there. Mm. And I'm I'm forever grateful for what God did in my life in that place and the fact that Bill Hybels made some terrible mistakes. It doesn't negate what, what I experienced. It doesn't discredit that. And that's the reason my life was changed. Yeah. And as we said earlier, leaders will fail us ultimately our faith is secure because it's in the one and only, the one who is trustworthy and not a human leader. And I think we all need to keep that in check as does anyone listening or attend our church. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's really well said. All right, let's go to number two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's number two, second reason why you love the church? Well, number two is that the church is focused on the people I love. And another story here is I was building a, a fence in my backyard and I asked my neighbor to help me. His name's Brian. Uh, now Brian's a six foot three shaved head tattoo kind of guy, uh, the kind of guy that you want to help build your fence. And so he was back there essentially showing me how to build a fence. And in the middle of building the fence, uh, spirituality comes up, faith comes up and, and he talks about creation and evolution and how that's a real barrier for him. And I tried to talk about creation and evolution. I did a very lousy job doing that. I didn't have a lot of words for that. And right at that same time, Kathy and I were actually looking for a church. We were pretty involved in another church and we were ready to start a new chapter. And the weekend after the fence building, we show up at Eagle Brook Church. And similar to my Willow experience, I still remember the first service was called, I have a friend who dot, 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 thinks we came from monkeys. And the whole service was about creation and evolution. The I have a friend who was just a, a setup to different topics all throughout the series where Bob would talk about apologetic topics. And so that one happened to be on creation and evolution. The seat right next to me was open and I was so convicted that the seat was open next to me because Brian should be in the seat. Like this message is for Brian. Oh, and by the way, it's equipping me on how to have future conversation with Brian or other people like Brian. And I just remember thinking, this is our church. I always want to be a part of a church that speaks to my neighbor, Brian, and to myself. And fast forward on the Brian Kindleberger story is I did invite them to church. They would come Christmas and they'd come at Easter. And eventually they came all the time. Yeah. And they're still coming here. We see him regularly. Got and, baptized not long ago. And the, the <laughs> highlight of my career, one of the highlights was baptizing Brian and Laura and then Austin and Jenna right afterward. Mm-hmm. And so to see 
how the megachurch played a part in the Kindleberger's life. Awesome. Yeah. And then even more so, if there is anything better than that, is watching my kids grow up here. Yeah. And this one's so personal to me because we've been around 17 years, so my kids are 21 and 19. So they've pretty much literally grown up through the entire system here. And, you know, some pastors' kids get sick of church and burn down in church, and, and that could happen in their future too. But right now, I mean, as we talked about, Tyler just graduated from Bethel University, computer engineering degree. Uh, his faith is in a strong place. Caleb is going to Grand Canyon University. Just told me just at lunch today how he's a part of a Bible study this summer. And and that could change every day. So, you know, mm-hmm. we're grateful for today is that they're in a good place and and their lives have been so impacted by this church. And the highlight of my career was the day you got to yeah. baptize my kids. Yeah. And that there was nothing better than that, watching them make their faith their own. Yeah. And so my marriage, my parenting. My family, yeah, is totally different because of this church. I couldn't be more grateful. Yeah, that's really well said. When Emily and I approached our ten years here at Eagle Brook, we did some reflecting. Yeah, we've been here twelve or thirteen. I don't even know if that's totally right. Twelve or thirteen. I got to rethink that. It was twelve <laughs> or thirteen. I don't even know. But when we approached ten years, we had a very um, significant conversation, kind of reflecting on the ten years. Because mm. when we showed up, we were twenty six. You hired both of us. Mm-hmm. We were the best hires you've ever had in your well, entire life. Emily was. Emily yeah. was for sure. <laughs> but you know, when back then, looking back, we had no kids. We thought we had life figured out, kind of for the most part. We were super smart, obviously. Mm. You know, you just all the things you think you know when you're 26: how to build a church, how to lead a youth ministry, how to. And it's so funny looking back because we knew so little, mm. but we've come so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much. Further than we thought we could ever come or grow yeah. as parents, as spouses, um, as leaders, as pastors. And so there was just a, this immense amount of gratitude as we did some reflecting on, you know, between 26 and 36. And so much of that credit was given to the people mm-hmm. who make up Eagle Brook Church volunteers, key leaders pastors on staff, the messages that we sit under, the books, the training. I mean, all of those things. Of course, God gets all of the glory through that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's similar for us. I mean, our kids have grown up here. Uh, Maddox, this weekend, is spending his last weekend in Elevate, which is our you know uh, mm-hmm. first through fifth grade right. ministry. And it's his last one. Now he's going to be in Ground Zero, which is our middle Whoa. school. He's going to go to Summer Takeover. It's like wild to think about. And... Um, so just seeing our kids grow up here, our families, my in-laws have been greatly impacted. They've come back to faith in so many ways. They never miss a weekend. My sister-in-law and now the people we're involved with in community um, when we're out and about or coaching sports or in downtown White Bear. It's just, this is a part of our community, our network where we get to invite people, people we are thinking about mm-hmm. who we want to be at our church. And it's just greatly impacted so many people that we love. And I'll, I'll share just one more story. Last mm-hmm. night, we were playing a wiffle ball game with another couple in our small group. And when we started this small group, neither of us had kids. Now it's 11 years later and they had their four kids mm. and we had our two kids and we're playing this wiffle ball game out in the front and, but all through the church, all because of the church in so many ways. Mm. And um, yeah, we're just so grateful. So similar to you, it's, mm-hmm. we just love our church because it's focused on the people mm-hmm. that I love. Yeah. Trying to help them be better at life mm. and grow closer to God and figure out what this mm-hmm. relationship with Jesus thing looks like. Not perfect mm-hmm. and we make mistakes and have our shortcomings, but 
man, I, th- I think our church does a great job on trying to help people mm-hmm. in their everyday lives. Absolutely. And you see the fruit of that in so many ways. So good. That picture of you in the wiffle ball game, because <laughs> I just know it was 70 degrees. Like the weather oh, was yesterday perfect. was, was one of the top 10 days we'll get all yes, year long. Yes, right. And you're out there with your small group the, yeah. that, that God weaved together through a church like this. Yes. I mean- you gotta love that. Yeah, I mean that is. And by so the way, cool. we've had our ups and downs in that, but yeah. because we've stuck together through that, yeah. we are experiencing some of the fruit of those yeah. relationships. That's what but. the church does. It's awesome. Okay, we could keep going yeah. on one and two, but we got to move along this list of years. What's number three? Here? Okay, number three is that the church is incredibly intentional. One of the things I love about our church is just how intentional we are. We believe that we have the greatest mission on the planet. And we want to steward that to the very best of our ability. So let's be intentional with everything we do. That only seems to make sense. So you and I did a podcast uh, 32 episodes or so ago. And I'd say that should be, if there's going to be one you listen to, that's one you should listen to because that really is the bread and butter of who we are as a church, our vision culture. It kind of is the secret sauce of Eagle Brook in a lot of ways. And I'm going to do like a, three-minute version of it. This will be fast and dirty. Okay, you're on the clock. But uh, go ahead and time me because <laughs> it's uh, if you're uh, driving in the car or on the treadmill, just picture a triangle and inside the triangle are six different tiers. The bottom tier, uh, you would put beliefs. These are the nine core beliefs that we believe to our core. We would talk about die for, defend, and discuss beliefs. But those nine core beliefs are really the doctrine of our church. So that's the foundation. That's the beliefs. The next layer up would be the values. These are the five values that we've extracted from Acts 2. And we believe that the early church behaved in this way. And if we behave in this way, oh, by the way, Acts 2 says, the Lord will add to your number daily. And so how did that church behave? They followed Jesus. They spent time with God. They connected in community. They served others and they lived generously. And so that's our charge to our church. And to you and me too, that we're constantly trying to have those five values in place. The purpose of our church, which is the third layer up, is to help people to love God and to love others. And then the mission, what we do is that we're empowered by God to reach others for Christ. The mission is what we do. And the reason we do that is for love. So why we do it is because we want people to love God and love others. What we do is we reach them for Christ. The strategies, this is now the fifth layer up. uh, These are the ways that we go about that. And we would ask, ask questions like, what's relevant, what's transformational, and what creates owners? So those three questions helps us to kind of filter the strategies that we've put in place. And then the top one is the goals. So let's come up with some goals that will help us to do those things. Primarily, the goals look at our values. Those are the behaviors, again, that we measure. So you and I look at a scoreboard every week of how those things are playing out, and that'll show us the trends if we're headed the right way or not. So... One last note on the vision culture, because I do love it. I think every organization should do this exercise. Whether you're a church or you're a business, a nonprofit, every organization should answer those six layers that we're talking about. And if I were to even just have a personal take on it, and just let's change the questions just a little bit. What, What are your beliefs? What are your values? What's your purpose? Why are you here? What's your mission? What are you trying to do? How are you going to do that through your strategies? And what goals would you set by that? Like that's good parental guidance right there. That's good life guidance. And that's how we kind of operate as a church. The vision culture guides our decisions. It brings us clarity and it creates alignment. This is what gives us the momentum that we have to grow and to reach more. Yeah, it keeps us incredibly focused. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's one of the keys here is that 
these are, um, you know, if people people hear all kinds of things like this about values and you know purpose statements and mission statements, they go through all these practices, and they write down a bunch of words. Um, these I can tell you from experience and working here 13 years, maybe it's 12, not totally <laughs> sure, um, that these aren't just words for us. They yep. are words, but these are lived out. We mm-hmm. make deci- decisions mm-hmm. based on the vision culture every single day, and it keeps us incredibly focused. I think one of the reasons that mega churches get such a bad rap at times is because they've lost their focus. They've lost their heartbeat. They've lost their their missional intent. They suddenly are doing all of these other things. They're hosting concerts and they're hosting large events and conferences and they're writing books and they're doing things that maybe they're called to do or maybe they've just lost sight of what their true mission is. And suddenly they're doing so many things that they've forgot about the most important things. Mm -hmm. What happens then? Well, Maybe there isn't as much accountability and suddenly there isn't as much follow through and suddenly there isn't much, well, yeah, then something happens amongst the staff and suddenly they've just, they, they you know, something falls along the way because they've just gotten too out of focus. It's not even about the size and the yeah. scope, although it is that to some degree. When you're doing so many things, it's hard to be focused on the most important things. But um, it's just really about that intentionality and focus. And I, I love that about our church too. Well, and I would just add, I mean, we get a new opportunity every week, oh, if not every day. Every day. I'm I getting mean, there's some always, email from Hey, you could do this. Yeah. And they're all great, yeah, by right, the way. I right. mean, we have great opportunities. Yep. yep. And I think this is to Tyler's credit, our boss. He's so good at, at making things simple and direct yep. and, and keeping things focused. Yep. Uh, I'm an idea guy that would chase probably more ideas, and so that's my danger. Probably, probably you oh, would. Terrible, yes. Terrible. <laughs> so to be a let's part be, of an, <laughs> let's be clear. That's true. <laughs> but to be part of an organization that is so focused keeps me focused, yep. and it keeps thousands of people focused. Yes, exactly. And that's, that's the momentum. That yes. We have. Okay. Number four. Yeah. Number four is that we are passionate about transformation, and uh, if vision culture is is my favorite tool for clarity, then the four circles of transformation is probably the most striking visual that helps people to quickly understand why we do what we do. I love this visual. And again, if you're uh, on a walk or you're mowing the lawn, I did just listen to podcasts the other day, mowing the lawn. Oh yeah, I did. So yeah, so if you're <laughs> mowing the lawn, if you're mowing the lawn person, uh, picture this, there's four circles side by side and all the same size, side by side. And so we're going to walk through the four circles from left to right. So all the way to the left, we would call this the circle of explorers. These are the people that come to our church that often went to a church like me and just didn't have a very relevant experience. And we kind of gave up on church for a while, or uh, maybe they did have something negative happen, or they've just never even really explored their faith. But here they came, here they come, they've stepped into our church and they're ready to explore. Our hope and our prayer is that one day they'll bend a knee to Christ and they'll recognize him as Lord and Savior. And so uh, picture a cross in between circle one and number two, and that's when somebody makes a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. The second circle would be new. You'd write new in that circle. They're new in Christ. And there's nothing better than being a part of a life of someone who just committed their life to Christ, or maybe it was religion, and now they've really made a decision to make a relationship with Christ, and they're going to do exactly what they tell them to do. They're going to be fully surrendered to his uh, way of living. And so they're new in that circle for a period of time, and eventually they move into the third circle, which we call growing in Christ. 
Sometimes we used to say friend of Christ, but let's call it growing in Christ. These people are starting to get into a group. They're starting to serve. Uh, Maybe they're even starting to give some money. And that's a great stage for people to be in. But what we found is over a period of time, and I'm going to make this up. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But but we see people go through this with some commonality, and it's about three years. I mean, there's no magic to that number, but... But they came, they explored it, they gave their life to Christ, they were new, now they're growing, and three years later, give or take, they say, you know what, I'm not sure that this is still my church. I've hit a barrier, and you could write a barrier in between circle three and four, where they say, uh, that's not the music I would have chose, that's not the volume I would have chose, that's not the teaching style, that's not the topic. I actually think I've heard that topic before. I wish he or she would teach in a different way. And so they kind of have this... Mm, stage where they wonder if they're going to go to another church. And even here's a comment, maybe you've heard this before. I wish they'd had deeper teaching. (laughs) You know, we hear that phrase every once in a while. And what helps a person go through that barrier from circle three to circle four? And the the one word that I can think is to become a Christ-centered, which is the fourth circle, Christ-centered, is that they become selfless is that they become sacrificial. But selfless is a great word because they understand that it's not about me, maybe it's about others. And and really the true way to finish this diagram is to draw an arrow that goes from circle four back to circle one to the explorers, that they realize that it's not about them and about their next steps necessarily as it is about them reaching other people for Christ. And by the way, as you reach other people for Christ, you're going to grow in your faith. I mean, it's one thing to read textbooks about apologetics or other certain topics, but if you're talking with a friend about creation and evolution, you're going to have a whole new vigor to learn about that topic. So Christ-centered people are sacrificial people who know that it's not about me, it's about others. And just a quick story on this, I was talking to a neighbor who I'd say she's in her upper 50s. And my wife and I were actually on a walk and she just happened to walk at the same time. So we ended up walking alongside each other the whole time. And we asked her, because we knew that she's a Christian and has been a long time. And where are you going to church these days? And she said it was a church that's kind of nearby. And why do you go there? Well, this is just what I need at this time. This is a church that just speaks to me and it feeds me in a place where I can get connected. And there's nothing wrong with those answers, but do you hear the theme is that it's about me. It's about what I want. It's about where I can get connected. It's about where I can be known, loved, prayed for. And again, that's not bad, but what if it was about a place where you could know others, that you could love others, that you could serve others, and you could realize that your job to go to church is partly to be an impact to other people. And this woman, again, has been a Christ follower for a long time. It's time to give back. (laughs) Go give back. And that's what I think the church should be about. And even that last barrier, sometimes we draw a little line through it and say, that's the the cross of sacrifice, where the first cross is the cross of salvation. This is the cross of sacrifice. And the the best verse that goes with that, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live in the body. I live in faith in the son of God, the one who, who loves me and gave himself up for me. So it's not about me, it's about others. And that's what I believe the church should be about. That's what this church is about. And it's one of the reasons I love this place. Yeah. You know, one of the kickbacks on this is you'll hear people say that church is for believers. It's for Christians. It's where we train people to go out and, you know, live out the gospel and reach Mm -hmm. people. Any thoughts on that when people say that? Well, I love that. I mean, the good good church phrase is equipping of the saints. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. the good phrase. Yeah. 
And I love the equipping the saints model if it works. Yeah. I mean, so if, if you're a part of a church that's equipping the saints, that can be a good thing, but you should be able to come back a year later and there should be fruit from that because I've been trained to go reach somebody at a water cooler in the stands, uh, in, a, in a hallway, whatever it is. And then you should be seeing people come to faith. And, and I think our church is equipping people to go reach people for Christ. And it's creating an attractive place to bring your friends to. So to me, that's when church is really hitting on all cylinders is when it's an attractive place that you can bring your friend, but also training you, equipping you to go reach others. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's, I just love that our church is about that. Yeah. And we see that through thousands of people that yes. put their faith in Christ every year. Yes. It's absolutely. hard to believe actually. Yeah, it's great. Okay, number five, bring it home. Yeah, number five is the number 2.9. Because yeah, when you pull people together, their strengths, their abilities, and their resources, you can have a massive impact. And a few months ago, we took an offering over the course of a week, and then we decided we're gonna give it all away. And our church, being one of the most generous churches in the world, gave $2.9 million all inside of a week. And that's the power of a mega church, to say it that way. And that went to dozens of vetted out partners that are getting it done in their own context, locally, nationally, and globally. And the fact that we could call those uh, organizations, say, we're gonna give you thousands of dollars so that you can continue to do your mission. Uh, what an impact. Yeah. I mean, you start to see the church really can be about reaching a community, a city, and and a dark world. Yeah, man, that's really good. I, there's just a ton of power when you can bring and mobilize a group of people together to make an impact. And that, that is one of the ways that, an impact is made by mobilizing people to make a difference mm-hmm. in their communities and um, by giving money away like that is incredible. I mean, the mega church is, is it's appears to be at times an easy target. I feel that yeah. living in one, working in one, I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Christians can also make mega churches an easy target. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't ever want to get defensive. Mm-hmm. We don't want to ever not receive or hear that criticism, but also sure. just realizing that there's a lot of good in big and small churches. And so let's not beat up on each other. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. Come on. And I think at no point are either of us suggesting that larger churches are somehow um, inherently better. Mm-mm. But there there can be a greatness within both big and small churches. Let's not de- negate one or the other. There's some incredible pastors, leaders, people in small churches, incredible pastors, people, leaders, in large churches. And of course, we want our numbers to grow. We want believers to be added mm-hmm. to our communities. We want to reach people. And so what happens as a result of that is that, well, if that keeps happening and God continues to bring people to your church and you're doing these things that you know, you're talking about being intentional with our vision and mission, well, suddenly you look up and, you know, we're a big church because mm-hmm. a lot of people have come. Yeah. But I love what our old senior pastor used to say, and I think Jason models this too as our new senior pastor, but he never sought out to be a mega church pastor. Right. That wasn't like his life goal. In fact, he probably wanted the opposite of that. I was, mm-hmm. I was in uh, the UK just recently, and there was a, a pastor of a large church, really well-known guy, and he said the last thing he wanted was to be well-known or mm-hmm. be a leader of a large church. What he said was like, I wanted, to, I want to leave a lead a quiet life and drink tea, you know, the <laughs> British drink tea with my wife and walk around the city. And it's like the yeah. last thing I wanted was to be a, 
you know, someone who's kind of well known. He's a very humble guy. I mm. mean, he was, but he was essentially saying like that's not what he wanted. But because he was a, an effective leader, their church mobilized. Now they're a mega church and they have mm. a global impact. Yeah. Um, mm. So point being, yeah. when when you do mobilize a large group of people together, you can make an incredible impact. One of those impacts is giving away two point nine million dollars in one that's weekend, amazing. which is hard to argue with. Yep. Even if you're a skeptic. Yep, okay, so final, final comments. Why don't you summarize this for well, us and we'll wrap yeah, things up. Yeah, let me just remind uh, the five that I have. Number one, it's personal. Number two, people I love, we love. They're impacted by a church like this. Number three is that's incredibly intentional. Number four, it's passionate about transformation. And number five, it's impact can be massive. And I just would say we, we are in a dark world. I mean, just where we're sitting, the news of the day, it's heartbreaking. I mean, and we see it over and over again. What's going to be a part of the solution? I believe the church is a part of the solution. And I love that our church is a part of that solution. So let's be a part of a, of something that's going to bring light, hope, and peace to that dark world. Yeah, it's great. Well done, Don. I love your list. I love your heart mm-hmm. and your thinking and your leadership. So... Thank you for all of that. That was really good. Good reminders for me too. But thanks for listening wherever you are. And it's always fun to hear from you. We sometimes get stopped in hallways or receive an email or note once in a while or see a comment, but feel free to leave a comment. Mm -hmm. And um, wherever you get your podcast, send us a note. We just want to hear, maybe in in this case, why you love this church. We want to hear it. It's okay to, I mean, we get the, we get the critical emails and responses (laughs) at times, trust me, but just send us a note on why you love the church for all its imperfections um, because we really do love this church. And remember to keep growing because when leaders get better, the church gets better. Thanks for listening, everyone.